This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi everyone and welcome to My Millennium Money Professional. My name's Dev Raga. This is part two of an interview with Dr. Dean, who is a medical doctor, private assistant, and also does some telemedicine as well. So uh, Dean, thank you very much. This is an extension of part one. So you ready to keep going? Absolutely. All right, let's get started. Now, if you have any specific questions or comments, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or on Facebook, uh, and please leave a five-star rating. And remember the three main aims of these episodes and channels, education, entertainment, and empowerment. So, Dean, in the last episode, we talked about productivity, we talked about savings, your life as a doctor, what you do, and how you got into medical school. Uh, And what I really enjoyed and learned is... I grossly underestimated the cost of medical school if you are full fee paying. Um, so just for people that missed that episode, it's about a half a million dollar cost, if not more. I want to get your views on debt. Um, do you have any debt? And I'm just curious what your view on debt is in general. Uh, yes, have lots of debt. <laughs> um, most of us would, I assume. Uh, but I, 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 I love me some good debt. Um, we have a principal place of residence, so we've got a home, and obviously there's a mortgage there, and we have an investment property as well. Uh, you know, I think leverage in the right hands is great. Uh, leverage is what builds wealth, and but that's about it. Yeah. You don't borrow money to invest in shares, for example, or ETFs, or no. Uh, <laughs> I did at one point consider it, and I had the facilities ready um, for it in the form of margin loan, but that never got activated. Okay, right. So do you then use things like debt recycling, for example, where you can you know, convert your non-deductible debt to deductible debt? Is that something that you're actively thinking about or participating in? Well, at the moment, our current home is not where we plan to be forever. So for us, there didn't seem to be much of a point in paying down the debt aggressively. So the, you know, the leftover, the money that we've got uh, is stuck in an offset account, which is offsetting our mortgage, you know, at five or 6% interest rate anyway. So yep. uh, savings are just money that you don't waste. <laughs> right. So, so uh, I assume your debt for your principal place is, is principal and interest, not, not just interest. That is correct. Yeah. Principal place yep. of residence. And then do you have the same uh, for investment properties? So do you pay off the principal and the interest or have you made it into an interest-only loan? No, that's an interest-only loan. And then you use any sort of leftovers to plow it into your non-deductible debt with the hope of upgrading in the future. Right. Okay. So you don't, you don't actively debt recycle, but your plans are you want to upgrade in the future. 
What about other things like uh, consumer debt or, um, you know, do you have a credit card, for example? Because I do, uh, and I hate consumer debt, but I always pay it off, of course. Is that something you do? Yeah, we've got, we have credit cards. Um, I believe that money in my pocket is better than money in their pocket. So I will withhold any payment for as long as I can without paying interest. <laughs> and so credit cards uh, really work for us. And, and we use it for a lot of the perks as well. So like, you know, travel credits, frequent flyer points, uh, the insurance on it sometimes. Uh, but we always pay it off in full at every term. And I think that's, that's that's the trick with credit cards. I was actually speaking to, I'm not sure if you're part of that Facebook forum, Frequent Flying Doctors. I was actually speaking to the founder of that. Uh, and he has a he has a credit card that, that gives him, uh, you know, lounge access whenever he travels anywhere in the world, which is fantastic. So there, there are some perks associated with it, uh, but but I assume you never pay interest on it. I assume you're sort of paying it off every month. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the biggest caveat in using a credit card is paying it off fully. Then the You've pay got interest to, on credit card debt. You've got to be really careful. Surprisingly, surprisingly, in my experience, and look, the majority of the listeners, you know will use a credit card, but won't have any credit card debt, which is interest chargeable. But surprisingly, I've spoken to a lot of doctors that end up paying interest on their credit cards. So there's some sort of bizarre things like, you know, using the concept that you were talking about, you know, using other people's money uh, rather than their own money, except, you know, they kind of use other people's money, then they end up paying interest, which of course, it's silly because interest rates are 18%. So you, you can get really, really, really trapped. And, you know, um, the other one is um, balance transfers. So I've, I've spoken to a couple of doctors who get sucked into balance transfers and they forget after like six months, you know, the interest rates go up to 18%. Because as a doctor, you're busy. You, can't, you don't have time to sort of keep track of when these bloody balance transfers expire. So I've actually spoken to a couple of doctors who've been caught out uh, what about super? Now, given that most of your income is gross, uh, and I assume your wife's income is uh, pay as you go, so she will get super as part of the public hospital, which is now 11% for those of you that don't know as of uh, July 2023. Uh, how do you approach super because your income is gross? Uh, so super comes out of that 50% that goes to the ATO. Right, and okay. So any additional contribution that needs to come into super would come from there and I try and maximize my concessional contribution. Um, so that's your 27 and a half thousand. So you, you, you're trying to maximize that as best as possible without affecting your cash flow, essentially. Do you, does your wife do something very similar or because I think as a registrar, your income is not great as an anesthetic reg, I assume in the public system. No, that's correct. So I think um, I had a, you know, I consulted our accountant before and it made more sense and it was a more financially, it financially was a better decision to contribute to my super yep. um, as the tax benefits were bigger. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Because you're the high income person. Just wondering, um, do you then have an SMSF? Because that's, that's kind of all the rage with a lot of doctors creating their own SMSFs uh, or do you just go with, you know, a, like an industry super or any other Super fun. No, don't have an SMSF. Uh, don't think the balance is big enough to warrant that sort of headache. Yep. And and your your accountant hasn't sort of, you know, told you about it or asked you to consider it because that's, you know, a lot of people get asked to consider it, particularly in medicine. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And how do you see then super in your financial independence journey? Because super is not accessible I and mean, you're 31, 32. So it's not really accessible for you for another 30 plus years. 
is that worry you that, you know, recently there's been a lot of talk about the government and legislative risk and, you know, you can't have more than 3 million, otherwise you get taxed and we're all going to die, etc. What, what, what's your view on that? Well, they say death and taxes, right? The two inevitables. So you can't really do very much about that. I say we exploit the loopholes where they're there and in, in, in that legal way, obviously, and um, maximize what you can. Money in a super environment is still, you know, still belongs to me and still belongs to us. And, you know, it, it doesn't really, and if it provides a tax benefit to boot, then why wouldn't you? It's forced savings. I've actually spoken to one specific doctor, uh, Dean, you, you might actually find this interesting. They actually told me that super was a government scam and that the money... So, 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 so they said to me, they don't invest anything into the superstructure because they feel that one day the government is basically going to say, sorry, all of this money is ours. I think this sort of happened some months ago when we had that sort of, you know, uh, $3 million cap sort of you know, talk about it, which I don't think is even properly legislated yet. I could be wrong by the time we release this episode. But yeah, there's been a lot of myths and sort of misinformation about superannuation. I'm a big fan of super because like you said, I'll be paying 45% tax otherwise. Why wouldn't I just pay 15%? That's a 30% return without even considering any growth uh, in that super. Insurance, personal insurance. Now you don't have any children. I, uh, again, hopefully not off limits. Uh, Are you going to have kids or one day? Uh Certainly in the plans, uh, but no, not not presently. Right. Be prepared to become very poor when you have kids. Uh, I've I've got kids and they eat a lot, which I'm almost surprised how much kids eat. I mean, I, I mean, maybe I was the same when I was a, a kid, but I didn't think I ate that much, but I must have. And my parents never really complained, and I, and I really applaud my parents because they were like. I mean, how do they how do they manage back in the day in the nineties trying to raise two children? I've got I've got an older brother. What's your insurance like? I mean, do you have insurance, personal insurance? That is, you know, trauma, income protection, life, etc. Uh, yes, we hold insurance both inside and outside of Super. Um, we use like Clearview and PPS are some of the ones that we use. Uh, we've got trauma, TPD, life insurance, and then medical indemnity, of course. Yep, and you've got income protection as well. Uh, yeah, income protection. Yeah, so you've got you've got the quad. You've got you've got everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just out of interest, um, did you get those policies sort of before when it all kind of changed in April 2020, or did you get it after uh, April 2020? I think mine was um, after 2020, so I think mine stepped stepped premiums for me. No worries. And for those listening in, before 2020, the income protection uh, policies were a lot more liberal. Uh, a lot more easier to get and a lot more, you know, value for money. So that's when I got it, when I was when I was uh, sort of a junior doctor and I refused to cancel it. I've, I've, I've been asked to sort of, you know, look at my policy, to review it. And every time you review it, of course, you know, I'm very worried the new rules may apply. Same with my private health insurance. So do you have private health insurance now that you work in the health industry in the private sector? Uh, yeah, uh, private health insurance through Doctors Health. Yeah, so I, I have it as well, and and my policy is I don't know twenty years old or something, and I refuse to change it because it's so good. So, yeah, so that that's interesting. We'll just take a quick break, and when we come back, I just want to ask about Dean some personal questions about kids, schooling, and then we'll go deep into the investing side of things. So be right back. 
If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, so we're with Dean. Just on the topic of children, what about inheritance? What's your view on, you know, people ask me, why build wealth? What's the point of all this, you know, is it to give it away to your children when I die? I'm just curious what your thoughts are. I don't know. It's, this is a tricky one, right? I don't have kids. I don't have a parent, but apparently you grow to really love them. So if that's the case and this is something that you've created and nurtured for 18 years, why wouldn't you want to leave a little bit of legacy for yourselves? You know, um, I, I'm all for inheritance. I think I, I'm only here because my parents have given me what, you know, what they have. So why would I not just pass this on? Yeah, and, and I suppose I, I sort of my philosophy on that is inheritance can be money, or it can be other things like education and you know, uh, you know values and, and and knowledge base etc. And I, I sort of see me my sort of role as a parent is you know provide a safe environment, uh, housing, clothing, good food, good education, and hopefully that sets the scene, which is kind of what your parents did, sets the scene to sort of hopefully they will become aspirational, and if they need some help, you know hopefully I'll be in a position to help them. I think that's reasonable. I'm not primarily accumulating wealth to give it away to them, but I certainly I certainly would help them if, if they needed it, but hoping that, you know, they can do it all themselves because, you know, I'm very much teach a man to fish rather than give them fish sort of person. Now, just out of interest, you did all your schooling back home in Malaysia, your high school, primary yeah, school? Yeah, that's, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, both primary so, and high school. In, in Malaysia, tell me, predominant of children in Australia, as you probably you know, realise by now, most people go to public school. What's the dynamics back home in uh, Malaysia? Uh, mainstay would, is exactly like it is here, so public school. I went to a private Chinese high school. Um, right. So uh, where, you know, we learned most. Of, so back home, majority of the teaching was in English or Bahasa Malaysia, which is the national language. Um, mm-hmm. But in a Chinese, in a private Chinese high school, it was all taught in Mandarin. So my right. command, you know, um, and you know, I think that's, that's, that comes with my, my background. Right. And just as an aside, your command of the English language is, I mean, you've got a pretty much an Aussie accent like me. 
So uh, just uh, – but you came quite older in your life. I mean, you came here as a 17-year-old, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Right, okay. So you've just sort of adapted that accent pretty quickly. I mean, you know, you didn't come as a very young child, so you've got a got pretty much a pretty much a local accent, which is interesting. I came I came here as an immigrant, but I came here as very young, you know, sort of six and a half, seven year old child, so it was easier to adapt to that accent. Yeah, I I taught kids how to swim and that was how I picked up the accent really quickly. Right. That's fantastic. Right. What are your views on public versus private school in Australia? I mean, have you got much insight into that? Into this, this always comes up on, you know, financial independence forums, you know. Only if you saved your private school fees and put it into an index fund over the next 30 years, you'd be a billionaire, which is quite often uh, you see that. I'm just curious what, you, what your views are on that. We haven't, uh, well, I think if you can afford it and you want the exposure and the prestige and whatever that comes with private private schools, then why wouldn't you if you can afford it? But if you had to sell your left kidney, then maybe not. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I suppose, I suppose we, we, had a, we had a couple of people talking about getting into medical school and, and I asked them this exact same question and I don't know what the data is. I'd be very interested to find out what the percentage of students in medical school the schooling background is. Um, I don't know if there's any publicly available data to see. Majority, are they coming from private schools? Are they coming from uh, independent schools, Catholic schools, uh, public schools? And of course, in Victoria, we have selective public schools. That's the other thing. So yeah, I mean, I, I sort of, I went to public school. Shout out to those that went to Unley High in Adelaide. Uh, wonderful school. I don't know what the reputation is now, but back then in the 90s, certainly the reputation was very good, very academic school. And um, Adelaide back then had fantastic public schools, which I don't know what the situation is at the moment. And will and estate planning. I'm just curious. I'm passionate about that. I mean, as as physicians, as, as doctors, you know, we, we see patients who you know, uh, are dying or about to die or under palliative care. And I'm very passionate about palliative care and aged care and as well. Uh, Just curious, uh, have you done any will and estate planning or? Uh, We have not, but that is uh, in the works presently. But, you know, like you said, very important. We deal with it every day. It it, it doesn't take very long and it definitely resolves a lot of headache and, you know, decision fatigue again, like if you talk, you know, bring back to productivity. Yeah. So are you, so are you currently actively sort of drawing that up or have you seen a lawyer about it? I'm just curious. No, I haven't, have not seen a lawyer yet. Okay. Um, But you're sort of thinking about it. Referrals. Yeah, we have, we've got a referral. We just need to make time to do it. Fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's that absolutely making time to do it is, is tricky. You know, when you're dual doctor family, I I suppose, you know, either you're working or your partner's working and, and it can be I haven't seen my wife all week. (laughs) Yeah. It can be quite difficult. Yeah, well, anesthetics, gosh, the on-call, the oh, it must be very, very busy for you guys. Now, investing. I'm just curious, what is your investing philosophy? Are you an active investor or a passive investor? I think I'm a bit of a mix. So I take a core satellite approach. So um, I do a lot of broad-based index funds or blue chip shares. And then I sort of pick and choose themes, thematic type and investments and um, look at individual companies and stuff like that. What's your split in terms of core and satellite? 80-20, 60-40? Yeah, 60-40, I would say. Um, you know, I'm, we're younger, so I'm sort of trying to front load our risk a little bit more. Okay. So 60-40, I mean 60 passive, 
40 60 passive active that that's quite a significant active proportion of your portfolio that's that's probably a little bit more than what i would have expected and in terms of active investing you do obviously individual shares you were said thematics um anything else are we talking traditional investments? Or? Well, I was going to say, do you have like alternative stuff like you know gold and this thing called Bitcoin and crypto? I'm just curious. <laughs> yes, I did. I did. I was uh, some of the guys who got caught up in the initial um, hype, and you know we've got in there, and not not ashamed to say we've made some mistakes. But you know that's I I, t- I, t- I take it as you know paying a fee, paying a school fees. Um, but no, we still hold some of that. Um, we do a bit of angel investing. Um, and and property, so that's that's the extent of our investments. Right, angel investing medical side or angel investing generally. Angel investing medical side. Okay, fantastic. And um, you know, when I first opened my CoinSpot account, I posted it on an investing forum, and I think pretty much everyone had a meltdown because I'm actually not very crypto friendly. No, uh, I know. <laughs> I've, I've, I've done episodes on it and I don't get it. But I thought, you know what? I'll open a CoinSpot account. And it's interesting, once I posted that, so many people thought, that's it. Dev's going to get into crypto. <laughs> He's changed. I'm like, actually, no. I was just trolling everyone. But I, interestingly, I, I still have that CoinSpot account. I did end up buying some crypto but I haven't, I haven't put any money into it. It's a very, very small percentage of my portfolio. Are, are you very bullish on that still? Do you still sort of dollar cost average into uh, crypto? And if so, what type of crypto? Uh, no, not anymore. So we had moved our... So I, my philosophy is you get majority of your things to be relatively stable and you get you know a little bit of play money essentially. Um, so crypto was one of that and angel investing comes in under that banner too. So we've stopped um, investing in the crypto space and gone with angel investments. Right. Okay. And how do you then get your returns on the angel investments? I'm just curious, is it basically just like any other investments where you get a you know, bit of dividend or you get a bit of profits or how do you actually cash in on what you've invested in the angel investment? How does that work? So we have invested through the um, medical angels group. Um, right. So it's so, like a consortium, uh, consortium correct. of people. So I believe we yeah. exit when everyone exits right. together. Okay, cool. Yeah. No worries. Do you have a financial independence number? So do you have go, okay, I'm going to reach, you know, two and a half mil altogether of productive assets, excluding my principal place of residence and I'm done. Have you thought about that? Uh, yeah. So my our number, so, you know, when I talk, when we talk money, I, I, this is a, always a joint discussion. So yes. our number is 10 million. So 10 million each or 10 million together? 10 million in total. 10 million in total, right? So that's your productive assets, so plus your home, which hopefully will be worth a few million. So that's pretty decent. And so basically then have you worked backwards and gone, okay, this is what I kind of need to do to reach that figure. Is that what you've actively thought about? Well, I haven't engineered a plan for that, um, but I'm just, you know, 10 million is the number to aim for, so we're just going for it. (laughs) And how did you come up with that number? Is there any well, science behind that or where did you get that number yes. from? Yes. So we we pride ourselves in keeping a really close eye on our finances, right? So every month we sit down, we go through all of our credit cards, we go through all of our bank accounts, we um, jot down how much money is in everything, we look at our investments, where they're at, our super, what our mortgage is, what our investments are doing, and then we go through all of our expenses. I'm, we know to the cent where our money is going every month. Wow, okay. 
So you've budgeted everything. You've but you, you you pretty much budget experts, really. Well, we're, um, this is a retrospective review, right? So therein lies the flaw. You kind of you. It, this is a hindsight view. So hey, and I, I think that's okay. Um, we take you know we we're in a very fortunate position, and and so it helps us deal with money, I guess. Okay. And then how does that, sorry, coming back to that 10 mil. So, sorry. um, Yeah. So, how does that help you? That has allowed us to, you know, give a really rough idea of what our monthly expenses are. And, you know, we divide, what was that rough idea that you needed? Yeah. Right. So, that was, that was an easy, correct. Yeah. And that was how we. Yeah, no worries. And look, I mean, I think, I mean, for the person or the people that are listening in at the moment, you know, a lot of people's jaw dropped and go, oh, 10 mil, that's a lot of money. But I often sort of think about it and go, it's, I mean, the figure is not really that important, but you need to have some system to arrive at that figure. You need to have a system in place and go, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm aspiring to. And I often say, you know, what if I'm half wrong? You know, what if you're half wrong? You know, you're going to have to live on five mil. Now, that's still pretty decent. So it's it's not as if that you are going to struggle on that. So I always say to people, you know, it's okay to aim a little bit higher and everyone's different, you know. You know, I, I've spoken to heaps of people that are happy with, you know, 1.1, 1.5 to 2.5 million. That's completely fine. But it, it kind of does irk me a little bit when people start saying, oh, you know, 10 million is too much. Why would anyone need $10 million? That's not the point. The point is not the number. The point is that people have a system of arriving at a number and then constantly reevaluating. I assume in 10 years' time or 20 years' time, you may say, actually, we've done our expenses again. We might not need 10 million. You know, it's a constant reevaluation. You might say, actually, we need 20 million. <laughs> so, you know, uh, actually, we need you know, more. But yeah, so, so, so it. I, I really like it when people talk about this openly and, and I really appreciate, Dean, that you coming on the episode and telling me these numbers because a lot of them won't because they're so afraid to talk about it or they're so worried about, you know, how did I arrive at that number? So that's that's really good. So are you going to be working full-time then until you reach that figure? Is that is that sort of your plan, you and your you and your wife? Or are you thinking about, you know, maybe in another 10 years, work for full-time for another 10 years and then reevaluate. Yeah, well, look, we're still pretty young. We're very early on in our careers. You know, we haven't reached our full earning capacity yet. So I say work as hard as you can early, let compounding do its thing and see where we're at in a couple of years, you know. Yeah, and, and really maximise that income per unit time. And um, the other concept that, um, that I will be releasing an episode on is income per unit effort. So, you know, what we need to think about is make sure we maximize our time for income, but also make sure that we're not really working crazy hard and really take effort into account. And that's something that I'm really trying to, you know, teach other people to think about. And as far as I'm aware, there is no metric out there that people have thought about and come up with a formula for income per unit effort. It's a very unique Devraga thing. So I'll be releasing an episode on that. Um, so we've talked a lot about a lot of things in these two parts. What are some of the money wins that you think, you know, you've got the ear of thousands of listeners, predominantly doctors, lots of nurses, lots of healthcare workers, lots of non-healthcare workers, lots of 
uh, tradespersons, lots of accountants, engineers, and I know at least five financial advisors that regularly tune in. And I know at least two of them regularly recommend these episodes to all of their clients uh, as a general knowledge thing. What does Dean do in terms of small money wins, things that you think might be useful for the audience? Have you? Is there anything that you could give us your share on? Um, I'd say track your track your um, track your money, right? In in medicine, we we use strict forward balance a lot, right? So it's where you monitor the ins and out of a patient. You track how much they're taking in and how much they're putting out. Um, you do that for diets. You do that for medications. Um, why wouldn't you do that for finances? If you can track it, you know where your money's going. You know how to control it. Um, you can run simulations. You can predict. You know, try and forecast some scenarios, and it, it makes a lot of decisions easier. Um, the numbers are there; they don't lie. Um, so you you can have a bit of faith in with your decision making, I suppose, and being able to take risks, knowing that you have those numbers to back you up there. Um, I also say talking about money is important. I think, like you said, people don't talk about money; they think it's a taboo. But why why is it such a taboo? You know, especially in the medical field, we come from these opportunities. We've been given these opportunities to make quite a significant amount of money but nobody really teaches us how to manage it or what to do with it why, why don't talk about it ask your friends about it how, how they're doing with their money what are they doing with their money you know I, I love talking about money and you know I all my friends know <laughs> talking about money and and I think that's how we we initially um connected it, I I talk about money uh to people that I know about uh you know I think if people feel uncomfortable, I don't push it, but I think it's really important. But but it's not about talking about money per se. It's not about, hey, you know, where's your money going? What investments are you doing? It's more about the principles, more about the concepts, you know, uh, you know, automation and things like that. You know, how, how do people automate their lives? That's what I'm really, really interested in. Now, you did scare me a little bit because as an ex-orthopedic registrar and a current surgical doctor, you're talking about fluid balance charts, which at, at this stage the physicians are getting nervous because <laughs> you're like, well, hang on, that's our territory. So uh, that, that, that was a healthcare joke for all of you that don't know med- medicine. Uh, predominantly, the physicians are very meticulous uh, in their fluid balance, particularly for patients with cardiac failure, they have a restriction, whereas uh, predominantly the surgeons love Hartman's. Just flush as much Hartman's as you can because you can always deal with pulmonary edema. <laughs> that, that, was, that was the old school teaching. You can always deal with pulmonary edema, but you know, renal failure is a, is a big risk. So let's just give as much fluid as possible. And of course, you know, 4 a.m. in the morning, met call, blah, 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 which of course the surgical team turn up to and then uh, very quickly, very quickly hand over to the medical team. So thank you to all the medics out there who are listening in. I've, you know, ever since I've you know, transitioned to general practice and emergency, I really appreciate the amount of vast amount of knowledge that, of course, surgeons have, but also medics and, and physicians have, uh, have really have learned a lot of medicine as a result. But fluid balance chart, there you go. Uh, so really appreciate, uh, Dean. So lots and lots of things to talk about, but we, I, think, I think we managed it pretty well over sort of two parts and everything from your life, your investing philosophy, your, your debt philosophy, what your views on financial independence is. We talked about public-private schools, your life back in Malaysia, your investing start, lots and lots of things that we talked about. Really appreciate uh, you giving us uh, your time uh, tonight. No, thanks for your time, Dev. Um, really appreciate it. 
That's all we have time for. Uh, This is the end of part two with an interview with Dr. Dean, who is a medical doctor and also a private surgical assistant in the field of orthopedics and cosmetics and future aspiring general practitioner. So thank you very much to Dr. Dean. Now, remember, if you have any questions or comments, don't hesitate to contact me on Twitter or on Facebook. That's the best way to do it. And please leave a five-star review, an Apple podcast, and also a five-star rating on any podcasting platform that you may be having because that makes a big difference to the algorithm. It promotes these episodes and more people listen to it. And I do put a lot of thought and effort into these episodes. Now, my name's Dev Rago. This is My Millennium Money Professional. And remember, until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.